church. Hey, man, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fusion City. Uh, I have the, the great privilege most weeks of uh, being able to stand up here before you. And, uh, man, we just we take a look at what God's Word has to say about everyday life. And so for the last several weeks, what we've been doing is we've been talking about how God's Word pertains to our everyday lives in our family. And we started off this series by, in week one, we talked about, hey, there's this, there's this ideal and there are these extreme goals that Jesus set and said, hey, man, this is what family is supposed to be like. It's just, it was kind of this perfect picture where, where, where everybody gets along, where wives respect their husbands and husbands love their wives and children obey their parents and parents are graciously, you know, training and raising up their kids. And it becomes this, this beautiful, perfect picture that Jesus set for how families are supposed to work. But then we also said that, that in, in all of our cases, because none of our families are perfect, so we're never going to achieve that perfect picture, that our reality is far less than this ideal perfect picture that Jesus set for us. And so it's imperative for us, especially and when we're trying to, to interact with our families, to understand that it, it has to be, and it can't be anything other than the grace of God that covers that gap between what is ideal and what's real. And in week two, we kind of talked a little bit about family structure and how families work and how God organized them and designed them in a way that, that would allow us to interact with each other in a way that, that, that was beneficial to all of us, whether that be husband to wife and parent to kid and friend to friend and, and brother to sister and all that other kind of stuff. And then last week, we talked a little bit about conflict, right? Because there's one thing that's common in every family and it's conflict. And we learned that not only is there one thing common in every family, but there's one thing common in every conflict, and that's us, right? We, we, we said something together last week. We said, you know what part of the problem is here? And it was what? That I'm not getting what I want, right? In every situation where there's conflict, there's something that I want from somebody else that I'm not getting, and that's why we're in conflict. And so as we kind of continue this journey together of trying to figure out how we close the gap between these ideals that Jesus set and the reality in which we exist, as we continue to try and close that gap, that if we're going to have conflict, and we, we, we took some ownness last week, we began to own our part of the slice, right? Like if you own a slice, you got to be nice. Y'all remember that cheesy thing we did last week? Right? Like if, if I'm responsible at all, then there's something that I need to do, something that I need to work on, so i got to own that and be part of that. But if there's going to be conflict in family, and we're going to continue to be family and have any kind of interaction together, then there has to be something else, and it's forgiveness, and I was thinking through this this week about, you know, just kind of these, these severe times in my life where I've either had to extend forgiveness or, whether I, or when I needed some forgiveness. And one particular event came to mind, and I, I don't think that I've ever shared this story with you guys before because, quite frankly, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but it was in seventh grade, so I've, got some t- I've, I've matured a little bit since then. But um, in seventh, seventh grade, I had this report due, and it was a huge part of our grade. I mean, it was like this... this like we've been working towards it all year, and this is kind of like the final thing that we had to turn in. There's no way to pass the class if you don't turn it in. And it had to have like this really ornate and fancy cover. That was kind of the thing. Like you had to, you had to do the report, but then you had to be creative. And, and part of your grade, a very high percentage of the grade, was how creative you were with the thing that enclosed the report, which I thought was kind of dumb. I mean, just, can I just get credit for the content? But that's a whole other story. But um, so um, I failed to... To, to come up with a, a very creative idea for the cover. 
And so because I didn't have a cover for this report that I would spent so much time working on, I didn't turn in the report at all. I was scared. I didn't know what kind of panicked in the moment and, and didn't know what to do, so I didn't turn it in. And then kind of a week went by and two weeks went by, and like I still hadn't turned it in. And so late one night, probably, I don't know, 1 o'clock, 2, two o'clock a.m., I, I, I have a panic attack laying in my bed. I can't sleep. Work, like the, the problems of seventh graders, right? Like I've got a report that I didn't turn in and I can't sleep kind of thing going on. So I, I'm, I panicked. And so I came up with this brilliant plan. Lie. Just lie. And not like, not a little bit, but a lot. Like, like whopper lie. And so I, 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 uh, I, I gathered up some tears, right? You kind of made yourself cry, did that whole thing, went bursting into to, to my, my mom and stepdad's room. Mom, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up. I, gotta, I just can't take it anymore. I got to tell you something and it's just, it's tearing me apart and da, da, da. And so, so I began to tell my mother this elaborate story of how these bullies at school had stolen my report and how they were holding it ransom and that every single day I was taking the money that she gave me for lunch and giving it to the boy. I hadn't eaten lunch in months, mom, like because I'm trying to buy back this report from these bullies. And, and so I've been giving it to them every day. And, and so they finally get, they gave me my report back. Look here, I have it. Here's the report. But they tore off my cover and, and told me that if I didn't pay them anymore, that I wasn't going to get my cover back. And like just boo-hooing and crying and laying it on. And like she's, she's eating it up, man. Just like hook, line, and sinker. I got it reeling her in. Mom's all mad at the bullies. Brian's off the hook. She's going to the school and going to get, you know, she's going to have a piece of somebody and whatever. She's all fired up. And then she, she starts looking at it and she said, Brian, um, there are no staple holes in your report where the cover would have been. Well, you see, Mom, what happened was um, they filled in the holes. Like at this, at this point, like I'm done. There is nothing, there's no more to do. Like I, uh, okay, mom. So you see what really happened was <laughs> I didn't turn in this report and then freaked out and lied to you at two o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> like, oh, it was bad. Um, she forgave me. Um, she, she did actually help me go to the school, talk to my teacher. Hey, what kind of grade can Brian get if he makes a cover and turns it in three weeks later or whatever? Like she helped me with the teacher or whatever. She, she forgave me. Now, I, I got a very poor grade. Um, on my report, obviously, um, because it was three, two or three weeks late or whatever. But, but I did get the forgiveness of my mom. And, and she still remembers that story, believe it or not. I don't, I don't know after all these years that she would remember. Yeah, of course she remembers it, right? I mean, that's kind of like a very significant encounter, a very strenuous amount of forgiveness that had to be extended to this pimple-faced little seventh grader who just woke her up in the middle of the night to lie to her. <laughs> How bad does it get? See, family is, is, family is only as tight as it is when we're willing to extend forgiveness. And so today I want to spend some time talking about what forgiveness is. I want to, I want to spend some time talking about what forgiveness is not. Because I don't have to tell you that forgiveness is in the Bible. I mean, is that news to anybody that Christians are supposed to forgive? I mean, did, like if I, if I show you a couple of verses of Scripture that says the Bible says we are to forgive. You're like, dang, man, that's in there? Like, I didn't know. And then I can just say, hey, look, the Bible said it. Y'all go forgive. Let's get some lunch. Like, let's pray and get the heck out of here, right? But we, I can't preach that message because you know it's in there. Forgiveness in the Bible, you know. 
I know. That's not going to be new and revolutionary to anybody in here. Here, Here's the thing that makes this message difficult to preach. And you need to know, I I try to be as, as open and honest with you guys as I possibly can. I struggled to write this message. I fought it. This is a really hard message to preach. And here's why. Because I know you. I know a lot of you. And I know your stories. I know how you've been hurt. I know what you've been through. I know the people that have wronged you. I know your stories. So everything that I sat down to write about forgiveness just seemed to kind of just fail. Man, that's not going to help anybody. Brian, do it again. And as I continue to kind of to, to work this thing and beat at this thing and try this thing, man, God just began to really open my eyes to, to, to this reality. That there's a lot of us that have no idea what biblical forgiveness really means. And because we don't know what biblical forgiveness really is and how it really works, and we've kind of bought into this idea of something that somebody sold us pertaining to forgiveness, we've just stopped trying. We hold grudges and we seek out revenge and we do all this other stuff only because we feel like we can't forgive in the way that we believe the Bible says, but we honestly really don't know. And a lot of Christian circles and in a lot of churches, and even in my life growing up, I, I was sold the same information. And, and I, I bought in and believed into this idea of forgiveness that I don't really think the Bible teaches. And it's that forgiveness means forgetting. That once I forgive, that everything's supposed to go back to the way it was. That, that when I forgive somebody, I am to pretend that nothing happened. That if I really forgave them, then I would just let it go. And I don't think that, that was, that's been believed or taught with any kind of maliciousness after all. We do have some, some things in the Bible that, that tend or seem to teach that. If you look with me at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, and talking about how God forgives, this is the writer of Hebrews speaking on behalf of God, and it says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will, look at this, I will remember their sins no more. And, and so for a lot of people that I interact with, and even for myself in my own life, if I was kind of walked this journey of understanding God's forgiveness, I thought that when God forgives, he forgets. And you add to that these verses that say that, that God casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. And over in Micah, it says that he hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And I began to have this, this idea, and I've even taught it. This is, this is, just so you know, this is new information for me this week as I really dug into this issue. I've taught that God forgets. Humans don't, but God does. That when God forgives our sins, that he forgets them because he's perfect and he can forget. But then I realized this, that if God actually forgets our sins, then we have a pretty serious theological dilemma on our hands. Because that means that the Bible includes stories that God can't remember. And it means that if I can remember the sin that took place, if I can remember the thing that took place and God has forgotten it, that makes me know, be able to know something that God doesn't know. That makes me smarter than God, and that's a serious problem theologically. And God doesn't forget. 
You see, when the, the Bible uses the word remember, God remembers in a much different way than we do. Over in the book of Genesis, to give you an example, it says that after Noah, you guys heard the story of Noah, right? Most of us know Noah, the big boat floated around for about five months. And in the book of Genesis, it says that after about five months of Noah floating around on the sea, that God remembered Noah. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that Gabriel had to show up into the throne and be like, hey, God, um, man, you left the faucet on, and it's been running forever, and there's like a dude out there on a boat, and God's like, oh, yeah, my boy Noah. Like, I don't, I don't think that's what happened in that case. But the Bible says that God remembered Noah. Because that's not how God's mentality works as it pertains to our sin. God doesn't forget And when it says that God remembers our sin no more, it means that he no longer responds to us in the light of that sin. The Bible says that when we're faithful to confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive those sins. And he does. He does remember them no more. It means he, he no longer holds them to our account. But God didn't forget anything. I have a real problem with an omniscient God that can't remember stuff. Now, God hasn't forgotten anything, but he no longer responds to us according to the sin. And so maybe you'd ask the question, well, okay, yeah, I get it. Pastor Brian, that's awesome. God doesn't forget. But, but why, why is this such a big deal? Well, let me tell you why. Because if you and I equate forgiving with forgetting, then we'll never try to forgive. Because there is something in each and every one of our lives that's so big or something that hurts so bad or some injustice or some wrong that was done to us or something that happened. There's something in your life and you, you're gonna, you tell yourself, I'm never going to forget that. And if forgiving means forgetting because I know I'm never gonna forget, I shouldn't even try to forgive. But here's what you gotta know. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. I mean, you and I, we, we can let go of little stuff. I can let that go. I can forget the little stuff. But I'm never going to forget the big things. And as it pertains to our families, we've said all along throughout this series, nobody has the ability to hurt us like our family. The people who are closest to you have the ability to do more harm to you than anybody else. And so those biggest hurts and those biggest obstacles and those biggest pains often come at the hands of those that are closest to us. And so forgiveness should happen. It's, it's necessary in order for us to maintain unity in our families. And if forgiveness means forgetting, and I'm never going to be able to forget, therefore I can never forgive, then that means there's going to be distance between me and the people that I care for and love the most. And so as I was kind of already beginning to, to prepare for this message and begin to think through some of the, the things that we want to talk about. I knew it was coming up about forgiveness and I was thinking through it. I, was, I, I, I ran into a friend of mine and um, she and her husband were, were having some, some, some issues. They were just having issues. Um, she, she had called him doing some stuff he shouldn't have done. And I said, well, man, why don't, why don't y'all come in and talk to me about it? Like, just come in. Let's, let's, let's have a conversation. Maybe we can work through it. And she said, no, I don't want to come in and talk to you. I got offended. I was like, well, what, why? And she said, because all you're going to do is tell him to knock it off and tell me I should just forgive him and let it go. And I ain't doing either. 
I ain't forgiven, and I ain't letting it go. And in that moment, I came face to face with some of the misconceptions that people have about what forgiveness really means. I, and I've identified um, what, I, what I've called the two obstacles of forgiveness. And so if you're taking notes today and you want to follow along, if you want to write these down, the first obstacle of forgiveness is unreasonable expectations. Unreasonable expectations. You see, if forgiving means forgive, forgetting, then everything that happened in the past, as long as somebody said they're sorry and as long as I've forgiven them, then it should just be a dead issue. But that mentality and those expectations assumes that the hurt and the pain on the part of the one who was wronged should just magically disappear. Like I said, I'm sorry. I promised I wouldn't do it again. Why are they still mad? It's unreasonable. It's unhealthy. And then here's, here's what we get to do. Check this out. If I tell somebody I'm sorry for the wrong that I did them, and I promise never to do it again, and it maybe even they extend forgiveness, but then things don't go back to the way they were, then I get to look at them and say, man, what, a, what an unforgiving, horrible person you are to not forgive me even though I said I'm sorry. Why can't you just move on? Why can't we get past... And here's what I get to do. I get to take my sin and my issue and my mistake and put the problem on them because they haven't gotten over it yet. And that's a pretty sweet deal. Like I get to hold them accountable for something that I did wrong. That's a pretty sweet deal, I think. If I could get away with doing that with all of my mistakes, I think I would just do that. Hey, I said I'm sorry. You should just forgive me and let's go on. But that's not the way that it works. You see, sin comes with consequences. Always. It just does. When you make a mistake, if you mess up at work, there's a good chance you'll get fired, right? You mess up, you get fired. That's mistake and consequence. And it works the same way with sin. And one of the things that people have done in, especially in kind of the Christian world, the circle things, and we've begun to equate forgiving with forgetting and all this other kind of stuff, is that we've begun to believe that forgiveness means the removal of consequences, and that's just not true. That's not how it works. Forgiving someone doesn't instantly make them trustworthy again. Somebody breaks your trust, your forgiveness of them doesn't make them a trustworthy person. It doesn't instantly make them your best friend again. It doesn't instantly repair the close social ties that you once had. So don't, if you're the one that needs to extend forgiveness, man, don't, don't believe, don't think for just the, for, for a minute that, that forgiving means that you got to forget about it and that everything's going to go back to the way that it was because that's not how forgiveness works. That's not how it works with God. When God forgives us, Right, we, we just, I, I just quoted a minute ago, the Bible says that we'll confess our sins before our Heavenly Father, that He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That happens on the spiritual level. God forgives us. God wipes our slate clean. He remembers our sin no more. In other words, He doesn't respond to us in the same way in light of that sin anymore. But that doesn't mean that the consequences here are going away with it. And oftentimes you'll find people that say, well, if if God forgave me, then why are bad things still happening to me? Because you did something stupid. And bad things 
happen when we do stupid things. That's just how it works. God doesn't take that away. God will forgive you, but you're going to pay for your stupidity. We've all been dumb. We've all done dumb things. Forgiveness doesn't mean the removal of consequence. Consequences are still coming. Trust takes time to rebuild. Forgiveness is an instantaneous decision and a daily process to live it out. A couple of years ago, I introduced you guys to to an equation for trust. And it was time plus truth equals trust. That if, if you break trust with somebody, it's not impossible to restore it, but it takes truth. You got to be honest and you got to do it for a really long period of time because time plus truth equals trust. It's not instantaneous. And when, when somebody is forgiven or when you forgive somebody, they've still got to work through that time and they got to be honest to restore trust. That's how it works. It's the way it works with God. And that has to be the way that it works with us. So if you're the one that needs to extend forgiveness, don't, don't think for a minute that you can't forgive because you feel like you've got to remove the consequences with it. And for the, for the person that in here that, that has done wrong, because like we've all done some stupid things, right? Come on, everybody nod your head like this. We've all done dumb things. Okay. So if you are currently in a situation where you have done something dumb and you need to be forgiven, you got to watch your expectations also. Because I've been in those counseling sessions with the wife who says, I said I was sorry. And her husband says, she says she's sorry, but I still don't trust her. And, she, and the wife is looking at me saying, can you tell him that he needs to trust me again? <laughs> no. No, I can't. Trust will come on his terms once you've time plus truth. You'll get back to trust, but he gets to determine the time, at least for right now. And we can reevaluate six months from now. Maybe, maybe he's not progressing as much as he needs to, and I can kind of work with him a little bit about be a little more trusting. Or we can work on that. But for right now, no, I'm not going to tell him he's got to trust you. You were the one that messed up. Forgiveness is an instantaneous decision that gets lived out over the process of time. So if you're the one that needs to be forgiven, you need to watch your expectations also to make sure that they're not unreasonable because it is unreasonable to expect things to instantly go back to the way they were the minute that you're forgiven. The second obstacle of, forg- of uh, forgiveness is unreasonable absolutes. The first is unreasonable expectations. The second is unreasonable absolutes. This is a pretty common response to a hurt or a, a broken trust. This is what happens. That the person who was offended or hurt dogmatically says in their own mind, I'm never going to forgive them. I just, I, there's no possible way, there's no scenario, there's no way on the face of this planet, there's nothing they can do, there's nothing they can change, there's nothing that's going to change the way that I feel to where I'm ever going to be able to forgive. Once that line of thinking begins to take root, it's very, very dangerous. It's very dangerous to deal in, in absolutes, especially as it pertains to forgiveness. So I want to read you a, a story that Jesus told, and it's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles and you want to read along with me, we're going to read this together. And this, is, this, this story comes immediately after Jesus has walked through 
how we walk through the, the process of, of dealing with somebody that's wronged us. And he's explaining this to his disciples and they're asking questions and much in the way that they were used to doing things, they try to turn it into a system. Jesus is giving them, hey, this is how you forgive. You go to your brother and you show him his sin. If he doesn't submit to that, then you take a couple people with you. If he doesn't submit to that, then you take him before the church. If he doesn't submit to that, then you treat him as a pagan or an unbeliever. And all this. And Jesus is teaching and he's teaching. And man, you got to love his disciples because they make me feel smart. Right, so they still don't get it. And so Peter starts asking questions, trying to, he's asking questions, trying to make himself feel good about himself. And then Jesus says, no, Peter, you still don't get it. And he's like, man. So I think, I don't know. That's in my mind, I, I hear Peter. But so immediately Jesus says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'll tell them a story. And if they can't get it when I teach it, maybe they'll understand the story. And the story that he tells them is of the unmerciful servant. This is what it says. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. And Jesus said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's a lot of money, like an entire year's worth of wages. It's a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and he forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. All right, so like he just got forgiven an entire year's worth of wages. This guy owes him like 15 bucks. So he found the servant who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar, right? He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus offers this staunch warning in verse 35. Look what he says. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is making a pretty serious point here about forgiveness. He got a little harsh there at the end, I think. Like when Jesus gets a little mean, I really start to pay attention. Like that's how God's gonna deal with me if if, if I refuse forgiveness. But but here's here's what Jesus is saying. Anyone 
who has truly experienced the freedom of undeserved forgiveness will always see forgiveness as a possibility. See, this first servant in Jesus' story, he didn't deserve. All he did was plead. I can't do it. Will you please have mercy? And his master extended mercy. When you and I, then in response to the undeserved forgiveness that we have received, refuse to consider forgiveness as a possibility, not a probability, but a possibility. When we do not see forgiveness as a possibility, that is our denial of God's ability to change the person that we need to forgive. You know you better than anybody else. You know your darkest thoughts. You know the things that you don't want anybody else to know. You know you better than anybody. And if you have truly had a life-changing experience because of a relationship with God, bought and paid for through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, then God has changed you. And the person that you were is not the person that you are. And when you and I work in absolutes and say that there is no way on the face of the planet that I will ever forgive them for what they've done to me, then that is to deny the ability of God to change somebody. And if you yourself have been radically changed, then you know what God can do. And if God, in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in his providence, and in his plan, were to decide to change that person that you are withholding forgiveness from, If God were to decide to change them and then you were still to refuse to see them as a new creation, even though that's how God sees you, is to remove the possibility in your mind that God really changed you. I'm not telling that you got to expect it. There's a lot of people in my life that have wronged me, and I don't expect God to change them. I don't think he'll do it. But I don't want to be guilty of removing the room necessary for God to be able to do so. I don't want to think that that room doesn't exist because I know where I was. And I know who I was. And I know what I was like. And I know the thoughts that I had. And God has changed me. I am a new creation in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches, that the old has died, the new has begun. Like That's what happened for me, that God, God killed my old life. I'm a new creation. And in the same way that God did it for me, he can and could do it for them. And when he does and if he does, then it is, it is necessary, it is imperative for you and I to leave room for the possibility that God could change somebody else in the exact same way that he changed me. And to refuse to do that 
is to deny God's ability to have changed you. It's to deny the possibility that God can do what only he can do. If you're taking notes with this, you can, you can write this down as a kind of a key thought for today. Forgiveness is not forgetting, but it is remembering the grace that God has given to us. Forgiveness isn't forgetting, but it is remembering how much God has changed us. And if he could change us, then he could change them. And in the event that he does, as a believer, as believers, we have to leave room for the possibility that God could do that. And if he does, then we have to begin to see that person as the new creation they are in the same way that God sees us as the new creation we are. And Perry Noble, as the pastor of New Spring Church in South Carolina, he says that forgiven people forgive people. And when you and I begin to own and understand the weight and significance of our own forgiveness, then we'll be much more apt to extend forgiveness to those that we've previously withheld it from. It's our forgiveness. It's our remembering of what it is that God has done for us that leads us to extend grace and forgiveness to those that have hurt us. Now, we talked in the first message of this series, I alluded to it at the beginning of this message, that, that God sets these standards for us that are ideal, that are so far above normal that we can't even comprehend that as being the standard. But he does. God challenges us to, to live to a higher standard. So let me challenge you with, an, with, with one more idea before we close today. Let me challenge you with this. And again, I'm... Please don't think that I don't know what I'm asking. I do. But I just want to, I want to read some scripture and I want to challenge you with this thought. Here it is if you want to write it down. The power of your forgiveness has the potential to change someone else's eternity. The power of your forgiveness has the potential to change someone's eternity. There's an account in John chapter 8. I heard a pastor say one time that if you can't preach out of John chapter 8, you can't preach. But it's this story of a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees at this time, the religious leaders, they're trying to, they're trying to get Jesus to contradict himself. And so they're always looking for these different ways to trap him and to, to, to get him to say something that contradicts something else that he said. And as we've already said, we, we know Jesus taught forgiveness. He taught mercy and he taught grace and he taught all of these things that have to do with, with forgiving somebody and extending grace because you've been forgiven, to forgive others because you've been forgiven. And so they think they've got him in this wonderful thing, trying to get him to discredit the law of Moses. And so they bring this woman before Jesus. And the law of Moses commanded that if someone was caught in adultery, that they be stoned, that they be put to death. And so they bring this lady before Jesus and they say, okay, here she is. We caught her. Now, Mr. Forgiveness Man, what do we do with her? Because Moses and the law and all, these, all this stuff that you said that you didn't come to get rid of, you didn't come to abolish the law, you said it. 
So now what do we do? Because you're all about forgiveness, but Moses said we're supposed to stone her. What do we do, Jesus? And they think they've got him. And this is how Jesus responds. John 8, chapter, seven, or chapter 8, verse 7. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let who, him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, there's some theories about who this woman was and what she would go on to do, and none of it's proven. But here's what I do know. That that encounter with Jesus changed her life. I don't have to know her. And I don't have to know the rest of her story. I don't have to know her past. And I don't have to know where she ended up to know that that kind of forgiveness changed her. And I know that it changed her because it would have changed me. And it would have changed you. So the question that I want to ask for all of us this morning is, has it changed you? Because in the same way that Jesus forgave her, he has forgiven us. And that kind of forgiveness changes people. And if it's changed you, listen to me, who else would it have the power to change? That hurt in your life that's so big and that pain that you have been carrying for so long, And that you swore, I'm never getting over this. I'm never going to forgive. That unforgiveness that you're holding on to because of how bad the hurt is may be the very forgiveness that if offered... change somebody else's eternity. I told you, I I know what I'm asking. I know how hard that is. That that person that hurt me so bad and that thing that's weighing me down and that thing that I'm carrying, Brian, I can't. I can't. Like, I, I know I should. I believe it. I, I can read John 8. I know. I know that Jesus did it, but I can't. I'm telling you that that thing that you're holding on to may be the very thing that could gain you a brother and sister in Christ 
if you're willing to forgive even though you don't want to and you feel like you can't. I've been reading a book the last couple of weeks, and um, it's written by a man named Larry Osborne. We're actually going to do a series based on some of the content from the book in the fall. But in this book, Larry Osborne says that oftentimes he finds himself face-to-face with something that he knows that he should do. He knows that the Bible speaks of it. He knows that, that, that God wants him to do it, and because God wants him to do it, and because God loves him, that he would probably be better off that if he did it, but he just, I can't. Like, I, I know that I should, but I can't. Forgiveness is one of those things. Forgiveness is one of those things where I find myself time and time and time again standing face to face in my mind before God saying, God, I know what you want me to do. I know that your Bible says that I should. I know that I, I, I see the person. I know that I should forgive him. God, I can't. Do you know what's not helpful in those moments? Is asking God to help me forgive. It doesn't do a bit of good for me. God, would you help me forgive that person? No, I still don't want to. So I have to back up a step, and this is, what, this is what Larry Osborne said. He said, it's in those moments where I know what I should do and still don't want to do it, that, I ha- that he has to pray what he calls the prayer of permission. Here's, the prayer, here's how the prayer of permission works. God, I give you permission to change the way I feel about him. God, I I give you permission to change the way that I feel about her. God, I give you permission to change the way I feel about my wife. God, I give you permission to change the way that I feel about my husband. God, I give you permission to change the way I feel about my parents. God, I I, I don't want to be angry I don't want to have the hurt. I don't want to carry it anymore, but God, I can't let it go. So here's what I'm doing. God, I give you permission to change how I feel. And it's in that moment that we can truly find the freedom that comes from letting go. Because if God isn't going to, if we're not going to be able to forgive, and if, if praying for God to help us forgive doesn't work, then we have to back up a step and give God the space that he needs to work deeper inside of us than that place that we've guarded off and refused to forgive. Forgiveness is a big, big deal. And when we offer forgiveness to those who have no excuse to those that the world would deem unforgivable. Anybody else in the world would look at our situation and say, yep, you're right, you shouldn't forgive them. When we offer forgiveness to those that deserve it the least and to those that the world would agree with us that we shouldn't forgive, that's when we become the most like Jesus. Let us not forget 
He died a death on a cross for sins that he never committed. That he extended and offered grace and forgiveness to those that did not deserve it. Matthew 5 says that while we were still, sorry, Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we deserved it, because we never would, before we had anything to offer, before we said we were sorry, before any of us ever existed, Christ died for our sins. And when you and I offer forgiveness that is undeserved and unmerited and unworthy, that the person is unworthy of our forgiveness, when we do that, that's when we become the most like Christ. So church, let me ask you this morning, would you be willing to take the chance of forgiving? For that person that hurt you and how bad it hurts, would you be willing to gamble with your forgiveness for the possibility of their eternity. Because I think if we will, then that's when we will mimic our Savior the most. Come on, let's, let's just be honest for a minute. Again, I know what I'm asking. I know how hard it is. I'm getting as much out of this message as anybody in this room. I have all week. It's been killing me. But here, here's where I landed. What, what do I have to gain from holding on to unforgiveness? I get to hold on to my anger. I get to plan my revenge. I get to be upset and anxious and nervous and just mad. But what do I have to risk if I, let it, if I extend it to the person that doesn't deserve it? What, what do I have then to gain? We just saw John chapter 8 that the potential exists from, that my forgiveness could change somebody else forever. That's a pretty good deal. And those are pretty good odds. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, this is a, it's a difficult subject. It's hard to teach. It's hard to wrap our minds around. But God, my hope is that this morning, that you would begin even now to change us, Father. God, would you give us the boldness to consider forgiveness in a way that we've never thought of it before. God, we know that we don't have to forget. We know that the consequences aren't going anywhere if we forgive. That our forgiveness doesn't mean that we have to go back to being the best of friends and that trust gets restored immediately. But God, the the possibility does exist that if we would be willing to forgive in the same way that you have forgiven us, that God, not only will we be operating in the grace that you've given us, but God, we will be placing ourselves in front of the possibility that our forgiveness would change the eternity of somebody else forever. 
So God, would you search us in this moment? Would you find our unforgiveness? Would you bring it to the forethoughts in our mind? God, would you help us to see it? And then God, my hope, even now as I stand here on this stage in front of people who God are going through stuff that I have no idea. God, I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to pray a prayer of permission. That they would lay themselves fully before you, exposed, and that they would give you the chance in this moment to change how they feel. God, would you work at the heart level? Father, for the one here that doesn't know you, who hasn't embraced the forgiveness that comes from a God who's received at no, no work or merit of their own, God, I pray that today would be the day that for the very first time, God, that they would receive your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. Father, we love you. We thank you for our time here together this morning. God, as we prepare now to to face our week, Lord, would you work in us? Would you change us? God, help us to be more like your son, especially as it pertains to the forgiveness that we offer to others. We pray it in his name.